You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. My name's Tom and I'm one of the leaders here. And we've been meeting uh, over the month of August in just one service. And then in September, we're going back to two services at 9 and 11 o'clock. If you regularly attend the 11 o'clock service, can I maybe encourage you to consider moving to the 9 o'clock service? We um, receive most of our visitors at the 11 o'clock service. That's what we found, and usually our 11 o'clock service is absolutely rammed. So it would be great to have some more space, create more space to welcome people in uh, who are new to the church. So if you're regularly coming to the church here and coming along to the 11 o'clock service, come September, why don't you consider joining in with the 9 o'clock service? Our services are identical, and we will also be introducing youth work in the 9 o'clock service as well uh, very soon. So uh, you will just simply be coming to church a little bit earlier. It will be exactly the same, but a little bit earlier. So that's enough about that. I want to uh, share today, continuing our I Am series, where we're looking at the statements that Jesus made about himself, where he declared, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life. Today we're looking at arguably his most famous statement, I am the way and the truth and the life. And we're going to be in John chapter 14. So maybe if you have a Bible with you, uh, you'd like to turn there. When we get to reading the verses out together, they will also come up on the screens behind me as well. Before we get there, I want to share with you uh, the time in my life where I most feared for my life. I was 19 years old, and I had the privilege of being invited by one of my friends to go and sail with him in the Ionian Sea, which is where all the Greek islands are. It's been, to date, the best holiday I've ever been on, apart from the fact that I nearly died. It's been the best holiday I've ever been on. Uh, I am not a sailor. I had never sailed before that date, and uh, had the privilege of being invited by my friend whose family had a boat um, in Corfu, which was pretty nice. And we sailed around the Ionian Sea for two weeks, four of us sailing around. Now, my friend, his name's Alex. He's a very, very good sailor, and even at the age of 19, was a very, very good sailor. And we relied on him throughout those two weeks to get us around. And we would adventure onto different islands. We would just moor up uh, off an island and swim to shore and explore some deserted islands, some with only a little bit of life on them, and some were a bit more lively. And we just had a great time uh, exploring uh, that area of the world. It was fantastic. We got to the penultimate evening of our holiday, and we realized that we'd bitten off a little bit more than we could chew. And we were looking at the map, sitting in this small boat, looking at the map, and realizing that we had a very, very long journey to make the next day. And it was actually going to involve a lot of open waters. Now, if you're in any way familiar with sailing, you know that open waters can mean that that the wind can really pick up, and that the, the seas can get very choppy indeed. And my friend Alex was looking pretty worried, if I'm honest. We'd had some challenges already over those two weeks. He had fixed the boat where it had had been quite badly uh, damaged. The engine had been quite badly damaged. He'd fixed it. He had pulled us through uh, some difficult times. And then we were looking at this map, and he was looking pretty worried. And we were also looking pretty worried because we had no idea how to sail. So we went for it. We realized we had to go for it. Otherwise, we were going to miss our flight back. And none of us could afford to um, change our tickets or to get another uh, ticket at a later date. We'd have had to sell ourselves into some sort of olive farm or something uh, for, for life, potentially. And uh, so we thought we're going to have to go for it. And so the next day, we set sail. And we had a long, long sail ahead of us. And the seas got very, very choppy indeed. We found that the the waves were very big, the boat was going up and going down, and it was quite a a scary time, actually. It got so scary that he decided to give us a bottle of sun cream 
He said, get this on you, I'm going to strap you to the side of the boat. So we got strapped to the side of the boat so that we couldn't uh, go overboard, and he somehow masterfully got us back to Corfu in time, exhausted, so that we could get the flight home the next day. Had he, on the night before, before we set sail on that big journey, had he said to us, guys, I'm not actually going to come with you, I'm going to be staying here for a few more weeks, I can afford a ticket at a later date, you guys are going to have to make it on your own, we would have been petrified. Like we would have had troubled hearts. We would have been absolutely terrified of what would come. We would have surely drowned, I'm sure of it. We'd have had no idea how to get that boat back to Corfu. We'd relied on him absolutely for two weeks. This is the situation that we're coming into today as we look at the disciples who Jesus has sat down to have dinner with and he said to them, I'm only going to be with you a little while longer. I'm only going to be with you a short while longer. In fact, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to hand me over to the authorities. And he turns to Peter and says, Peter, you're going to deny me. And now for the disciples, you need to understand that Peter was kind of like their leader. He was a strong guy. He was, he was always the one who spoke up. He often put his foot in it, but he always spoke up. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, you're going to deny me three times. The disciples must have been looking at each other thinking, if Peter's going to deny Jesus, what hope have we got? You need to understand that these disciples had thrown their lot in with Jesus. They'd absolutely thrown in everything to follow him. They'd given up businesses. They'd given up regular income. They'd given up uh, a regular accommodation. They'd followed Jesus around for three years put their reputations on the line. They'd been mocked and ridiculed for following Jesus. They absolutely had thrown in everything, and they had been on an almighty adventure. They'd been on the adventure of a lifetime. They had seen Jesus on hot and balmy evenings receive everyone from all of the sick people from whole towns and villages so that he would heal them. They'd seen him cast out demons. They'd seen him provide lunch for thousands of people from just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. They'd seen him calm storms. They'd seen him walk on water. They'd seen him where this lady was brought before uh, the religious leaders and they were going to stone her to death because of adultery. They'd seen him say, well, if you've, got any, if you've got no sin in your life, then you go ahead and stone her. And they'd all walked away ashamed of themselves. They'd seen incredible miracles, incredible provision They've been on this adventure with Jesus, and now he's saying to them, I'm only going to be with you a little while longer. I'm only going to be with you for another day or two more. And they're thinking, how on earth are we going to cope? How on... They would have been absolutely terrified. They would, have been, they would have been sick to the stomach. Because what it meant for them, if Jesus was going to go away, it meant for them maybe they were going to get arrested. Maybe they were going to get killed. Maybe they would lose any reputation they had left. Maybe they'd have to return home to their families and say, you know that Jesus that I've been following around for the last three years didn't really work out. He just ended up being like one of the prophets who just got killed and that was it. That whole kind of kingdom coming thing that we dreamt about, that thing I've been telling you about, the reason I've left my family and friends behind to follow Jesus for the last three years didn't really work out, sorry. It would have been absolutely petrifying for them. You can imagine the The bonds ran really deep in this group. Thirteen men, 
on adventure together for three years, you can imagine not just the incredible things they witnessed and even did themselves, but the great fun they would have had. You don't put 13 men together for three years and not have a lot of fun. I can imagine they would have had stone skimming competitions and who could belch the loudest and they would be mocking Peter probably because he snored too loudly or whatever it might. They would have had loads and loads of fun. You, can't, you need to get your mind into the reality of this. They would have had a lot of fun together as well as the, those kind of gut-wrenching times of ministry when they were praying for the sick and ministering to the, to the poor and doing all kinds of good to people. They would have had such a comradeship and a bond between them and now Jesus is saying, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be killed. This was a big deal for them. So it's in this context that we read these verses that we're going to read together. Jesus says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus says to them, in the context of him saying, I'm going to be leaving you, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You've got to realize that when these guys imagined the future, they imagined Jesus' kingdom coming and they imagined wrongly, that they would get to you know, share in his reign, they would get to be kind of big deals in the kingdom. They squabbled over this just a little while before this, and Jesus had to rebuke them, saying, no, it's not about actually you getting a place of prominence in the kingdom. But they had imagined Jesus' reign and rule being one of glory on the earth, and they would be a big part of that. That's when they thought about the future, that's what they considered and contemplated. And now Jesus is saying, I'm only going to be with you a little while longer. The fear and the dread that would have come upon them would have been very great. They'd be overwhelmed with anxiety. And so Jesus says to them, believe in God, believe also in me. Put your confidence in me. That's what Jesus says to them. Put your confidence in me. And the first point I want to make this morning is that the answer to our worry, the answer to troubled hearts, is Jesus. It's Jesus. We have in the West... Probably amongst the whole of the world, the biggest problem with anxiety. We have, the most, we have the most stuff. Even the poorest here will be very, very wealthy compared to the rest of the world. That's a fact. And yet we have the biggest problem with anxiety and worry than the rest of the world put together. We have this problem where we cannot stop worrying about what the future might hold. We have in this country hospital care, a welfare state, charities that provide food and clothing that if we were to not have those things, we would be provided for. And yet, plenty does not equal peace of mind. Am I right? Plenty does not equal peace of mind. We need to have faith. Faith is not the denial of reality. It's the assessment of reality 
in light of who God is. It's in light of who he is. Faith generally doesn't equal peace of mind. You know, just having some kind of faith doesn't equal peace of mind. The object of our faith is the key thing. The object of our faith is our Father and our Savior. Now, when we're asked to trust someone or trust something, we assess that, that person or that thing, don't we, as to whether or not they're trustworthy. So if I said to someone, okay, come with me, I'm going to take you somewhere really great, you'd have to assess whether or not I'm trustworthy if you wanted to come with me. Jesus is saying, look at me, look at me, see what the Father has done through me over these years and trust me. He's saying, look at my track record. The answer to troubled hearts is to behold the character and track record of God in the scriptures and in our own lives and see that he is faithful and he's trustworthy. It's to behold it, it's to call it to mind, it's to look in the scriptures again and again and again. You see that God comes through for his people even when all hope seems to be lost. He comes through for them, he provides for them, he fulfills his promises to them. It's in the scriptures that we need to behold his track record. We need to look at his character and see that he's trustworthy, that he's faithful. We need to do it in our own lives as well. We need to call to mind all of the things that he's done in our own lives. And it's when we do that that we're able to have faith and trust him. And that's the answer to troubled hearts. We so often go after other things, don't we, when our hearts are troubled. Maybe it's binge eating. Maybe you can get through like a whole big pack of Pringles or uh, you know, a 10-pack of Kit Kat Chunkies or whatever it might be. When you feel anxious, I'm just going to eat or I'm going to drink. Some people turn to alcohol. I'm going to turn to alcohol. That's going to be the answer to my troubled heart. Or some people turn to escapism and just watch hours of Netflix or hours of soaps on end just to try and escape the reality of life. But ultimately, once the binge eating is over, once the drinking is over, once the watching endless hours of TV is over, you still come back to the fact that your heart is troubled and that it's anxious and that you can't find peace. Or it might be cigarettes or it might be uh, looking at things online that you know you shouldn't be looking at because you just want to find some kind of escapism. Or maybe you obsessively clean or obsessively check your bank account or obsessively uh, sort out your paperwork because you think, I just need to have some kind of control. Well, the reality is you can't be in control of everything. Even if you have those things in control, something else is going to come quickly out of control. You need to go and sort that out. But once you try and sort that out, there's something else not in, you're not, not in control of. It's like trying to spin plates in order to try and deal with anxiety in your life. You can't be in control of everything. You can't do it. Only one person can be. Only one person can be. And thankfully, he's made himself known to us. So I, I just, just on this point of troubled hearts, I do, I do believe that there's something that God wants to do amongst us this morning in the way of troubled hearts, in the way of anxiety, in the way of just that kind of, oh, just, I feel so unsettled within. I feel like God wants to do a work in people's lives today. Right, even right now, he wants just to reiterate to you that he's in control so that you don't have to be. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to take that to your hearts right now. And there's going to be opportunity, as has already been mentioned, to pray at the end. Maybe there'll be some of you who would like to receive prayer specifically about troubled hearts. The key thing is that you need to behold the character of God. Hudson Taylor, who was a great missionary uh, over a century ago now, he said this, Lack of trust 
is at the root of almost all our sins and all our weaknesses. And how should we escape it but by looking to him and observing his faithfulness? The man who holds God's faithfulness will not be foolhardy or reckless, but he'll be ready for every emergency. The man who holds God's faithfulness will dare to obey him, however unwise it may appear. If you want an untroubled heart, you need to hold God's faithfulness. That's what it means here when Jesus says, have faith in God, believe in me, believe also in God. He's saying, hold, on, hold God's faithfulness, hold it. It doesn't come from trying to fill our lives with comfort or trying to be in control of everything. It comes from holding on to God's faithfulness. It comes from calling to mind the scriptures. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Lamentations chapter 3, which is quite a famous passage, but the writer says this, I remember my affliction and my wanderings, the bitterness and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is downcast within me. Troubled hearts. Verse 21, chapter 3. But this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. So when our hearts are troubled, there's actually some things we need to call to mind. There's actually some things that we need to be deliberately calling to mind. We need to remember who God is. We need to remember who he has revealed himself to be. We need to be in the word of God. We need to recall all that he has done for his people. When all hope seemed lost, when people had troubled hearts, he came through for them again and again and again. We need to recall to mind all of the things he's done in our lives. I know I'm laboring this point, but this is so important because so many of us have anxiety. So many of us, in order to deal with anxiety, get into all kinds of unhelpful things. So many of us run to other refuges which are really not refuges at all. God alone is our refuge. He's our tower. He's our strong tower. And we need to run to him and call to mind the truths about God. And therefore, we will have hope. So, Jesus is inviting us. In this passage we read together, he's inviting us to trust him for the present. And he's inviting us to trust him for the future. He assures his friends that he's going to go away to get their future places ready for them. He said that his father's house is a house with many rooms. It's a big house. I don't think we're to call to our minds literally a house here. But we're to see that it's a big place. We're to get the point that it's really big. And it's well prepared and it's where the father is. It's not that God has a hotel for us that we're going to go and stay in where he's not. No, he's calling us to be where he is. He's calling us to be where he is, eternally. It says in a couple of places in the New Testament that God desires that none should perish, and that all should come to be saved and to have a knowledge of the truth. Do all get saved? No. But does God have a house that's big and fit for millions, maybe billions of people? Yes, he does. Jesus is preparing for us our rooms and will return for us. He's talking here about his second coming. When he will come again, he will return and will take us to be with him and his father. If we've repented from our sin, if we've placed our faith in Jesus, we know that we will go to be with him. We don't know when that day is going to be, but it is coming. It's been set in stone. God put it in his electronic diary 
right before the, this world was even created, that, that date that Jesus was going to return, it's set in stone, and each day it's getting closer and closer and closer. We don't know when it's going to be. We can try to interpret all kinds of scriptures to try and work out when it might be, but Jesus doesn't even know when it's going to be. Only the Father does. So we mustn't try and be cleverer than Jesus here. But we must remind ourselves from the scriptures that he is going to come back, that he will return, that he will draw us to be with himself. The world is going to get darker. It's going to get darker. There will be more and more in the way of war and natural disasters and sicknesses. That's going to happen. We see that in the scriptures. But Jesus is going to return. It's good to know that history is not going to end through a nuclear bomb. There may be nuclear bombs, but it's not going to be the end of human history. It's good to know it's not going to be ended by viruses, although there will be viruses. No, it's going to end when Jesus returns. God is in control. There's going to be a day where God says to Jesus, God the Father says to his son, Jesus says, okay, it's time. Let's go. Let's do this. There's going to be a day when Jesus will return. We'll be with him. And we're going to be with him forever. Where he will be, that is where heaven will be. We don't, people will debate all kinds of things. Will we be living on a new earth that's been newly created? Or will we be living on this earth and it be kind of done up nicely? We don't know for sure. But we know that where Jesus will be, that's where heaven will be. Jesus is saying, you're going to come and live with me forever. Surely that would get boring after a while, right? Surely it would get a bit boring, you might think. Well, Jesus prays a couple of chapters later, after this uh, passage we're in together, in chapter 17. He says, Father, this is verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, he's praying for his disciples, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The goal of eternal life is to see Jesus to really grasp his glory, and that's going to take an eternity. We're going to be far from bored. We're going to be far from bored because we'll get to see Jesus for whom he really is. Even when he walked on this earth, we didn't get to see him in all his glory. And when people have glimpses of him, in the, in the New Testament you see John, his, one of his best friends has a glimpse of him, and he just falls on his face as though he's dead. His glory is so magnificent. And we get to see the glory of Jesus. It's not just to sort of see and then move on. It's not like, oh, touring around London, seeing Big Ben, moving on now, going to see Buckingham Palace. No, we get to see, get to continually sustained, we get a sustained attention on Jesus and who he is. He's praying in this prayer, Father, I love Tom, or insert your name here. I love everyone you've given me, and I'm asking for them this. My supreme request is cause them to be with me that they may observe with sustained attention how glorious I am. Cause them to be with me so they can see me for who I really am and have sustained attention on me. That's what he's praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. If you know him, he's praying for you. We'll be absolutely captivated by him. Anything that we can lay our eyes on in this life, anything that we can see and observe now, doesn't even come close to what we'll see when we be with Jesus. Will we be bored? No, not a chance. 
Yes, there'll be no more sin, no more heartache, no more dodgy knees that stop you becoming the next Usain Bolt, no more disability, no more cancer, no more migraines. There'll be all kinds of beautiful art for us to enjoy and music for us to hear and cities for us to explore and travels to go on and all kinds of fun. But the best thing about heaven will be to see Jesus, to see his glory, to, to behold him for who he really is. That's the best thing about heaven, because Jesus is there. And I just want to ask you this morning, do you know that that is your destination? Do you know that that's your destination? Do you know for sure? Do you know that if you were to die, as you were to get into your car to go home in 40 minutes' time, or however long you're going to stick around for, do you know that that is where you're going to go? Do you know that you're going to be with Jesus? Do you know it? Do you know it deep down? Do you, are you sure? If you're not sure, I want to give you an opportunity in a few minutes' time to respond. And I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'd love it if you would pray it in your hearts with me if you would like to respond. So Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back for you and take you with me. And his disciple Thomas is a bit slow on the uptake. Thomas gets a pretty bad reputation in the Scriptures, which is a bit annoying when that's your name. Um, I'd like to maybe change my name to one of the other Bible heroes who actually uh, does some cool stuff. But Thomas is probably asking the question that the other disciples are all thinking, but don't want to look stupid. That's what I'm hoping he's doing here, right? He's asking what they're all thinking, but they're too proud to ask him. So he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Boom. That is a big statement. That is a huge statement. That is... An exclusive statement, right? He's saying, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, no one. No one means not anyone. No one comes to the Father except through me. He claims to not just have the truth, but to be the truth. That is a huge statement. Before we unpack this statement just a little bit, I want to just make a comment about probably the most offensive word of our time. You don't have to cover your ears. It's this word intolerant intolerant. People get labelled intolerant a lot these days. It's become quite fashionable to label people intolerant. It's probably the most offensive word that someone can prescribe to someone in this day and age. You are intolerant. Christians often get labelled intolerant. It's a big buzzword in the West right now. It basically means You're not saying that my viewpoint is valid and true, therefore you're intolerant, or you're bigoted, or you're hateful. That is a big buzzword right now. A Christian who says that they believe that Jesus is the only way to know God runs the risk of being labelled intolerant. Along with the words bigoted and hateful. Now some people who call themselves Christians are bigoted and hateful. Some of them are. We must make sure we're neither of those things. But we have to understand what tolerance really means. You see, the word uh, tolerance has changed quite a bit in just a couple of generations. To our grandparents' generation, tolerance meant having a respect and treating people with kindness even when we believed that they believed wrong things. So it's treating people with respect and kindness, even though we believe them to be wrong. Now, the postmodern society that we live in defines tolerance like this. We must never regard anyone's opinion as wrong 
or their lifestyle as wrong. We must never say that someone is wrong. Today, right and wrong is a bit more like wine tasting than it is banking. All right, so in the world of banking, there is a right and a wrong. You're either overdrawn or you're in credit, or you are heading towards a disaster, or you're looking to grow your... Whatever it might be, in banking, there is a right and a wrong. I'm very grateful for that. My friend Ian, who's one of the elders with me here at the church, he heads up our trustees. If I said to Ian, how are things going financially at the moment? If he was to say, well, I feel like we might be okay. I feel like we might make ends meet at the end of the year. I would be a very worried man. No, he's able to look at the stats and say, we're doing okay or we're not. There's a right and a wrong. But in today's society, in our postmodern society, people are afraid to say that anything is right or wrong. And it's a bit more like wine tasting. It's a bit more like, hmm, that tastes good to me or doesn't taste so good to me. It's a bit more like our individual palates. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a nice, uh, nice vintage wine. That's a nice grape, whatever it might be. Well, actually, the Bible and the God of the Bible is much more like a banker in that respect than a wine taster. There is right and wrong. There is truth and there is untruth. And Jesus says here, that he is the way and the truth and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. That actually, the logical conclusion of that is that there is no other true religion. There's no other true faith other than faith in Jesus. And we may get labelled intolerant or bigoted or hateful. In the true sense of the word, we must not be any of those things. But it's not intolerant to say, I believe that Jesus is the only way to know God. And I want to just, for many of you here, you need to hear that. Because you may get labelled it in your place of work or education, wherever it might be. If you say, with love and respect in your heart, I genuinely believe that Jesus is the only way to know God. That's not intolerant. It's not hateful to say that. So we must make sure we're not hateful and bigoted. We must make sure we're not. But we declare and hold to the truth that Jesus is the only way. Peter was uh, one of Jesus' disciples, and he was, after Jesus had died on the cross and had risen from the dead and had ascended to heaven, Peter was one of the leaders, really, of the pack. He led led the, the the early church. And he got drawn before, I suppose, the cultural police of his time. And in Acts chapter 4, he declares this to them. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved. So Jesus makes a massive claim here. He makes a huge claim that he's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only one who brings fullness of life. Now, Christianity's got a bad rep when it comes to fullness of life. People think that Christians are very boring people who want to have no fun and no good things in their lives and just can't wait to go and sit up on a cloud and play a harp all day, right? That's the kind of reputation that Christianity gets. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and life in all its fullness. And he's saying, I am the life. If you want to have true life, you have to come to know me. It's not to be found in anything else that you may run hard after, whether it be money, sex, or power. Those things you might run after, but they will not ultimately satisfy. They will not ultimately satisfy. This week, I 
I had a dream in, uh, in the night. That's kind of when you have dreams, isn't it? And uh, uh, I had a really vivid dream about a bunch of people that I know and have known over the years, actually, who have walked away from God, who have walked with him and have walked away from him. It was a frightening dream. I woke up just, wow. It, was, it can only have been a God thing because I'd not seen them for years. I'd not looked at their pictures on Facebook or anything like that. It was a God thing that they came into my mind. Four people, one after the other, in my dream, and I woke up thinking, man, they have gone after what they think would be life-giving. And they found that it really doesn't give life at all. Jesus tells a story about a father who has two sons. And one of his sons sticks around and serves on his estate. And uh, the other son wants his inheritance now. He takes it. He goes and squanders it all. He goes off and lives a life that he thinks is going to fulfill him, and he then realizes that he's actually completely in poverty, that he's actually squandered everything, and he hasn't found true life. And he turns back, and he thinks, I've got to go back home to my father. I've got to go and see him, and he's surely going to chuck me out. He's surely going to reject me. And he's kind of rehearsing everything that he's going to say to his father. We do that, don't we? When we think we've got a difficult conversation, we start to rehearse it, maybe stand in front of the mirror and think, oh, what if I say this? And they might say this. And he's doing this as he's walking home. He's thinking, how on earth am I going to get back with my father? And as he's just, I can imagine just looking at his feet, just thinking, okay, dad, I'm really sorry for everything. He's just practicing, he's rehearsing his lines. He hears shouts and they're joyful shouts from his father who is legging it towards him and, to, and comes to embrace him and brings him home and th- throws on his robe and gives him a ring for his finger and puts on this great party for him and says, welcome home. I do believe that there's some that maybe even here today and you are here for a reason. Maybe you've been walking away from God. You've been walking away from your father and you've realized that actually there's not true life to be found away from your father. And you need to come back to him today. There's going to be a bunch of people uh, ready to pray in a moment to my right, to your left in this corner. Uh, If you would like to be prayed with about that or a number of other things that we've heard come through this morning as we worshipped, I want you to come back to God today, to come back to him, to say, God, I'm sorry And he will wrap his arms around you like that father in that story that Jesus told. Because he's a loving God and he wants you to be with him. He wants you to be with him. He doesn't want you to look for life elsewhere because it's not to be found elsewhere. It's to be found only with him. And maybe there's others that you and I know who are prodigal sons, who have walked away, who have run hard and fast in the other direction. And you know that they need to to come back to God. I do believe that God spoke to me through that dream that I had, that this was, going to be, this was going to be a time where people would come back to him, where they would see that actually the things that they've been running hard and fast after do not give life. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And I do believe we're going to see some people come back to him, seeing that he alone is true life, knowing him now and in eternity. That's true life. It's true life. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you that you are here right now. We thank you that you're here and we have a way to you through Jesus. That you sent your son to be the way to you. That we can come to the Father. 
because of Jesus. We can come because Jesus is the way. And I pray right now across this room that we would draw near to you in our hearts and our minds. And that, Lord, you would do a work in our hearts. For troubled hearts, I pray, Lord, for whom there'll be many here with troubled hearts, I'm sure. Would you come and calm storms in hearts today as people reflect on your character and your track record? I do pray, God, that uh, we would not run to other things, that we would not see other things as our refuge, that we'd run simply to you. And Lord God, I pray that for the prodigals who have run hard and fast away from you, that you would stir some people to see that actually they're rolling around in the muck with the pigs, just as the prodigal son found himself doing. I do want to pray that people would see the situation for what it really is. I'm, I'm rolling around in the muck with the pigs, and my father has much, much better for me. Lord God, would you bring the prodigals home? Maybe you're here today and you know that's you. Maybe you're here and you, you thought you'd try church, see what it's like. You need to know that God has open arms for you, and not just open arms, but he's running towards you, and you need to turn to him. And he will take you back to be with him. And he will give you life in all its fullness. He's offering that to you today. And maybe you're here for the first time and you've never, ever given your life to Jesus. Maybe you, you're here for the first time and this has never been anything that you've considered before. Let me give you an opportunity to respond now in prayer. I'm going to pray. I'm just going to pray a few words. And if you've prayed this along in your mind or under your breath, I want you to... I'm going to invite you to raise your hand in a, in a few moments' time with everyone's eyes closed, um, just so that I know who you are. Maybe I can come and speak with you afterwards. Let's pray. God, I know... If you, let's just, I'm just going to say again, if you want to pray this along with me, pray it in your heart and mind right now. God, I know that I have wandered far from you, and I know that I've done wrong in your sight and now I come to the foot of the cross where Jesus made a way for me where he died in my place where he rose again and I can find forgiveness and mercy come and change my life come and transform me come and give me life in all its fullness Jesus you are the only way Amen just with everyone's eyes closed my eyes will be open if you prayed along with me whether for the first time or as a kind of a way of just coming back to God I want you just to raise your hand where you are with you. Maybe your friend would pray with you if you can't find me, but I'm interruptible, okay? I'd love to pray with you. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.